Wait, help us to talk about what? The Book of Acts. Book of oh, Acts. I thought you said quick facts. And I was like, ooh, what are quick facts? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Quick Facts with About the Bible, Sandals Church Podcast number two. <clears throat> you guys ready to go? Okay. We're so ready to go. Okay. This Thai tea is the best. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Debrief Podcast, a weekly Q&A show from your friends here at Sandals Church, where we answer your questions about the Bible, Pastor Matt's sermons, all kinds of goodness. I am Justin Pardee, and I am literally watching Pastor Matt and Stephanie Keen kick each other right now. We weren't kicking, we were measuring each other's feet. Yeah, I'm oh. Stephanie Keen, and I have the same size feet as my pastor. Yeah. Okay, and that's Pastor Matt Brown over there. I described it as kicking because it looked like you were playing footsie, but not in a footsie kind of way. And oh, I didn't want to say that like, you guys yeah, were playing man. footsie on the air. My feet are not that small. My feet are not that big. You, like, you, guys, you guys meet right in the middle, dude. It's, uh, it's a foot friendship, yes. I guess, you have there. Oh, man. Well, what, what an awkward intro. Thank you very much for that, Justin. <laughs> oh, man, that was great. You must well, be a professional. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, well, at the very least, you can guarantee that I'm on a little bit of caffeine right now from yeah. some iced tea well, and uh, a Coca-Cola classic. Thank you, America, yeah. for that gift to us. It's, uh, it's America's gift to the world, Coca-Cola. Yeah. You know what? You're totally right. Yeah. I remember being in you Africa. You should apologize for Pepsi, but Coca-Cola Ooh, is America's gift. Man, Ooh, I, I, submit, I submit to your wisdom once thank again. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. We you. are of one accord. Yeah. Why is it, though, that Mexican Coke is so much better? I don't know. Well, they Coke took, in other countries, I think, is way better. Yeah, yeah. they don't have like all their in regulations. India, hottest day, we're out filming. The I think a Coke saved my life that day. You know what? That's, that sounds like a dance song in the making. <laughs> Yesterday afternoon, a Coca-Cola saved yeah. my life. Well, we are open for sponsorships. If anyone from Coke is listening, we'd be happy to that's have so some true. conversations. Indeed. Indeed. Well, hey guys, we're so glad that you guys are here. We are, this is like kind of a groundbreaking episode. Last week we had episode 20. This is 21. So we're old enough to make poor decisions and, uh, uh, legally be able Wreck to make that lives. happen. Yes, yeah. exactly. But here's the other deal. Today we are switching. This is now going to be the first time in the history of the Debrief Podcast where we're going to be switching gears and talking about a book that is not Luke. We're going to jump into the book of Acts today. So that's going to be real awesome. We do still have the fact that they're written by the same guy. So that is continuing yeah. the thread. But before we get into that, we're going to pause and say thank you to all you guys who are listening and uh, sharing the show every single weekend, leaving your awesome, encouraging reviews. This week, we had two awesome additional five-star reviews that I got to share with you. This first one was so great. It comes from Bible Duck. Whoa, great name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to understand what's I'm going on there. that's taken now. <laughs> that's right. Sorry. Sorry. You need to get a new screen name, Stephanie. And uh, she says, best date ever. I appreciate the scholarship in the discussion. I think that, that part's for me. I appreciate the scholarship in the discussion and the honest questions asked on evenings when it is me, myself, and I, the debrief is the best date ever. Oh, man. Aww. That's cool. I love the duck. Good job. Yeah. Good job, Bible duck. Okay. We're and this one, hang out with you on date night. You guys, you guys might need to get some tissue. This one is so great. It comes from that Kelly girl. She said, as I am redirecting my life back to Jesus, I found Sandals Church and the debrief such a blessing. Listening to the realness and rawness of what is being discussed in the podcast has helped foster such direction and comfort along with the incredible conviction. As my 10 plus year spiritually mismatched marriage has come to such an awful point this past year and a half, the debrief and the other outlets at Sandals Church have been a much needed grounder for me as I renew my faith in God and try desperately to guide my three young children and be a living witness to my incredibly steadfast but unbelieving husband. So I loved that. Love the uh, encouragement there. And we are super excited and love doing the, the show for 
you guys. And before we jump into... That was really cool. It was a good one, huh? So good. I could tell you were going to say something because I could just see it on your face. Yeah. But then you paused, so then I got ready to... I just kind of was moving yeah. on. Oh, it's just awesome. It's just awesome that you know people are coming to the Lord and coming back to the Lord. and mm-hmm. you know, Pretty cool. Love it. Okay, we got one follow-up question from the uh, show so far before we jump into the Book of Acts. Stephanie, you want to bring us this follow-up? I would love to bring this follow-up question because it actually comes from my mom. So yes. she and I were talking... Stephanie's yesterday. mom has a question. Yes, mm-hmm. my mom has a question. Um, her name is Ellen. In case yep, I feel like that's how desert. we formally do this. Hello, Ellen. Um, she was asking me last <laughs> night after church that as Jesus was traveling around with his disciples, so we hear him like telling stories over and over, he's teaching people. Did all those people know the story of Jesus's birth too? Or because he had moved around, would like people, the would that be birth? common? Yes, the virgin birth, Jesus born to a virgin, it's what we celebrate at Christmas. Would people have known that about him? Was that common knowledge? Yeah, probably not. So both, you know, two gospels, uh, Matthew and Luke talk about the miraculous birth. Uh, Mark and John omit it. John, st- you know, they start from different points. Uh, Mark is immediately into... Um, the ministry of Jesus. And so, so no, not everybody knew about that. And so that's something that ultimately really becomes a big deal about the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so it's called the Apostles' Creed. And you can look that up on the internet, but it talks about what the church's statement of faith was. And it's really the most popular statement of faith of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's just the recognition that Jesus' Christ's birth was extraordinary because that's the testimony of the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, that it was heralded, and that word herald, if your name's Herald, you're, you're an announcer. Um, the, the angels that heralded that comment announced the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. So it was extraordinary. So from the very beginning, he's different. But no, it wouldn't have been common knowledge. And we even see, um, you know, there's some instances in the Gospel of John where um, you'll see a reference where the, the uh, enemies of Jesus will say, we know who our father is. And most people believe that that's a slight at Jesus because he probably was teased as a bastard. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people knew, right? They could do the math, just like people can do the math now that you know, your mom and dad weren't married, you're not Joseph's son. So they knew something about that. They didn't attribute it to mm-hmm. a miraculous birth. They attribute it to you know, him, Mary, having an inappropriate sexual relationship with someone else. And so, um, but that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that Mary uh, became pregnant with Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. So his birth starts with the Holy Spirit. And so um, the Holy Spirit does not have a body as Jesus does. The Holy Spirit is just like what it sounds, a spirit. So uh, a related news, I had a pet bunny growing up named Harold. <laughs> Thank you for that. Very yeah. relevant. Was it uh, good at announcing? You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was a stuffed bunny. And, uh, <laughs> oh gosh, you don't I even did, know I, if the bunny was alive. Yeah, and you believed really it was real. I think... That says a lot. Yeah, I'm only barely tapping my mind my mind palace right now. Well, hey, let's jump on over to Acts chapter 1. This is going to be super exciting. Uh, chapter 1, we're starting a whole brand new book here. And Pastor Matt, before we get all the way into the nitty-gritty of Acts chapter 1, is there anything you feel like we should know about Acts or be thinking about as we look to the 28 chapters of this book? Yeah, so two words, Holy Spirit. So everything that we're going to be seeing is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so some people are very comfortable with the Holy Spirit. They've had encounters with the Holy Spirit. They know who the Holy Spirit is is they have grown up in church where the Holy Spirit is talked about. Uh, in other churches, for those who have grown up like in a Bible church or a more conservative church, the Holy Spirit is really reg- re- regulated to almost a non-existent entity within the church, right. and that's really unfortunate. And so, you know, sandals falls right in the middle of those two categories. You know, we're not wildly charismatic and, and crazy with the Holy Spirit. You know, nobody's doing some of the wild things that happened in, in churches that are called charismatic, where the Holy Spirit is really the center of yeah. the experience. And we're not on the other side where it's all just about the Bible and it's a head game where you just learn. We're right in the middle, which is where I think God wants us to be. 
and we need to recognize that we need the power of the Holy Spirit, we need the gifting of the Holy Spirit, but we don't have to be weird for the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that's something that's important uh, for us to know as we move forward for some people maybe on either side that are uncomfortable. You know, Sandals is gonna write, is gonna land right in the middle with what I believe uh, the Word of God teaches and what, what's safe. But you need to you need the Holy Spirit in your life, in your marriage, at work. Uh, without the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. You are not a Christian if you do not have the Holy Spirit in your life because the Holy Spirit is, is evidence of God's presence in your life. And so, um, and like I said today, that evidence, uh, Galatians 5.22, really is a change. There's something that takes place. You know, born again is not just a an allegorical statement. You, there's actually a change that occurs. Your heart changes, your desires change, you know, your life changes. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but the direction of your life changes. And that mm-hmm. is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so, um, so that's what I always say. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit almost every week because the Holy Spirit is going to empower, guide, baptize, direct, um, and even um, speak. The Holy Spirit is going to verbally speak to the church. It's okay. pretty powerful. So it sounds like uh, we'll be talking about that a lot over the next six months. So if you listening have a specific question about the Holy Spirit or you still don't even fully understand what this is, man, send them in to us. You can send all your questions into us at sandalschurch.com slash the debrief or find us the debrief podcast on Facebook. Send us a message. We'll get those questions on the show. Yeah. And uh, one of the questions we actually got in this week is from Jason, and he asks, if, is there a reason why Luke and Acts, being written by the same person, are separated by the book of John? Yeah, absolutely. Because when the church fathers, um, you know, the people, the ancient fathers that got together to decide, okay, what books go in uh, the canon, and the word canon means measuring tool. So, um, you know, what what is measured God's and word? And this is canon spelled C-A-N-O-N, right? Not yeah. like a bazooka. Yeah, not like a bazooka canon. canon. Yeah. Okay. So, whenever they decided what goes in, they decided to separate uh, the Gospels in this way. Just like the Old Testament has separated the Law of Moses, which is the first five books, um, the uh, prophets, Mm -hmm. and so you have the prophets, and then you have the writings. So the book of Psalms, Proverbs, stuff like that, the books of wisdom. There's there's three separate categories Mm -hmm. for those books. The New Testament tried to do the same thing. So the first thing they do is they put all the stories of Jesus together, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. So those are the stories of Jesus. Then they talk about the book of Acts, which is the uh, planting of the church, the beginning and the birth of the church. And so mm-hmm. they put that there. Then you have the book of Acts is going to end with Paul going to Rome. So then what's the next book they put? They put Romans. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Paul is in Romans. And so that's what the book of Acts is all about, about the gospel getting to the ends of the earth. And the understanding would have been both Rome and Spain. We don't know ultimately if he ever got to Spain, but the Catholic tradition says that he does. Okay. We don't have evidence of that, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen, just because sure. we don't have tangible evidence. So that's the way it's divided. And so then you have all of the epistles, and that word means letters. So the epistles, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, all of those are letters to churches. And so it's not like just straight up, this is what God says. It's this is how you should live as God's people. And right. so it's personal letters inspired by God to people. And then we have ultimately it ends with the book of Revelation, which is a prophecy about the future. And so that's that's kind of how it wraps. And it makes sense because the book of Revelation is about the end. So they put it at the end. So that's why that's why it's divided that way. But initially the book of Luke and Acts would have been delivered together as mm-hmm. part one and part two. But they separated it by John because it just makes sense that you would know everything about the gospel accounts of Jesus before you read the book of Acts. Okay, so Acts chapter one opens almost like, you know, like a TV show does nowadays where they're like last week on Lost yeah, exactly. or whatever. So verse chapter, verse three. It would be last, last week on Found. 
Oh yeah, oh. <laughs> boom! You just drop some theology there. Yeah, that was that was very spiritual. I'm I'm, I'm going to debate how funny that was. Yeah. Uh, verse verse three, it goes like this: During the forty days after Jesus suffered and died, actually, it was pretty it was pretty good. <laughs> During the forty days after he suffered and died, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So I'm just wondering, do we have any idea what Jesus might have been talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you know, some of this is found in specifically the restoration of Peter that's found uh, in the Gospel of John, you know, that conversation. So there are other conversations that where we know what he talked about. We know they went to Galilee. So they went to Galilee. They, you know, they had fish. They fished together. Mm -hmm. There's lots of things. But basically what he's teaching them about is the coming kingdom of God that will be, um, begin with the birth of the church. And so the church is living under the rule, reign, and authority of God before God rule and reigns on earth. And so ultimately, that's what he's telling them about. He's telling them about the church. He's teaching the theology about himself. He's, he's opening their eyes to the scriptures. He's constantly teaching them, you know, basically walking them through the Old Testament and teaching them, look, this is about me. This is about me. This is about me. And he's opening their eyes so that they can be empowered preachers. And we see this in Acts chapter two with Peter's sermon. We see it ultimately in Acts chapter six and seven with Stephen's sermon. Mm -hmm. These guys have this incredible awareness and understand, you know, the full teaching of God. And it's absolutely amazing. So that's what he would have taught them. Got it. Uh, in verses four and five, it says that once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I just have a quick question. I remember Jesus getting baptized in the gospels, but I don't remember anything about the disciples. Were the disciples baptized too? Yeah, they all would have been baptized. And so, um, because it's the first step of obedience. So most of Jesus' disciples probably would have had two baptisms. They would have had the baptism of John and probably the baptism of Jesus. So this is the specific act. And so one of the things you're going to see in the book of Acts is baptized in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that's confusing to some Christian churches because at Sandals, we baptize in the name of the Father and name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. So why do we do that? Because the gospel of Matthew ends in Matthew 28. It ends with these words, go ye therefore into all the nations, preaching the gospel and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what we're seeing in the book of Acts is He's trying to redirect and point everybody specifically to Jesus. So Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience who has a deeper understanding of the scriptures. And so he can just throw out the Trinitarian formula there. Luke is preaching to a Gentile audience. And before they can understand the Trinity, they need to understand Jesus and submit themselves to Jesus. And so, you know, churches fight over everything. So some churches say you should be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we say. Other churches say it's Jesus only. And if you ever hear a Jesus only church, I, I would steer clear of that because I, I don't think that they're understanding. So if you, if you get baptized in the name of Jesus, here's the question, how did Jesus say you should be baptized? Hmm. Right? So the disciples are telling people to be baptized in the name of Jesus, but we have Jesus's words that tell us how to do that. And so that's why we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because all three persons of, of the Godhead are, are operating within the process of salvation. God loves, the Son dies, the Spirit empowers. They're working together for the salvation of the lost. Okay, really quickly, if I was somebody who got baptized only in the name of Jesus, is that still a valid baptism? Do I need to get rebaptized? Yeah, and so, you know, a, a lot of pastors would say you need to be rebaptized. I would say, did you give as much of yourself to as much of Jesus as you understood? And if you did, right, we're not saved because we understand everything perfectly. We're right. saved by grace. And so I just would say, work through that. You know, if you feel like, you know, you need to have a fresh start. You, you, you need to reject maybe the cultist teaching 
uh, that you were under or you know, you're coming out of an abusive situation and it symbolizes a fresh start, that's fine. But I just always try to encourage people that one baptism you know, is enough. Yeah. And so um, one baptism after belief. So I think if you were baptized as a child and you didn't have a say in that, it's a good thing to be baptized as a follower of Jesus because the, the method is, right, you, believe, you repent, you believe, then you're baptized. And as an infant, you can't repent and you can't believe. So, Got it. Okay, so moving forward, uh, as Jesus continues to talk uh, and teach in verse 8, after he tells everybody, stay here in Jerusalem, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you told us we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, and here Jesus says he's going to come and his followers will receive power. What kind of power does the Holy Spirit bring? Yeah, so for the 12 disciples and the original followers of Jesus, it's extraordinary power, and it's power exactly like Jesus to a greater degree because it's spread out. There's something that happens, and we'll talk about this next week at Pentecost. You know, Pentecost is a one-time event, despite maybe what some Pentecostals believe. It's a one-time event. the, The church was born once. The Holy Spirit fell one time in a unique way, and it was very, very powerful. But the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, 8 is so important. What does the Holy Spirit empower us to do? to be witnesses. Mm-hmm. And so you need to remember this next week when we, looked at, we look at Acts chapter two, because the Holy Spirit comes down with tongues of fire and everyone is speaking in a language that everyone understands. Okay. So the prediction is you are going to be my witnesses in all the earth. Then you have all these people from all over the earth present on the day yeah, of Pentecost in Jerusalem. in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit falls upon them and all of a sudden all communication barriers are broken. Crazy. Everyone can understand everyone. Every son- Why? Because the biggest barrier to sharing Jesus is communication. And so the Holy Spirit drops. And ultimately, Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that this is a sign to the Jews that God's Spirit is, is found. Because it says in the last days, God's Spirit will speak through strange tongues. Mm. And so we're going to see that. So the primary thing the Holy Spirit empowers us to do is to be a witness for Jesus. And so look at the fruits of the Spirit, the nine that we talked about this week. Yeah. Those all help people see Jesus in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, and self-control. I don't know if I got all nine of them. I think you did. Yeah, I don't know if I did. No one count, <laughs> but it was at least eight. So... Um, <laughs> You know, all of those things, right, help draw people to Jesus. And and think about this. People who don't have love, who don't have joy, who don't have peace, who don't have patience, those kind of people actually draw, push people away from Jesus. Mm -hmm. So not only are they not a witness for Jesus, but they're repelling people from Jesus. And that's usually because they are not living by the power of the Spirit. And a lot of people who call themselves Christians are not living by the power of the Spirit. So the primary purpose is to change my heart, my character, and my life so that I can become like Jesus. That's the personal benefit. And the secondary benefit is so that others can meet Jesus. And that's the two reasons why we want to be filled with the Spirit. We don't want to be filled with the Spirit so we can say, hey, everybody look at me. You know, I have the gift of tongues or I have the gift of prophecy Mm -hmm. or I have the gift of healing. And that's what makes me so sad about so much of the ministry that's done in the name of the Holy Spirit is because what people really are doing is they're glorifying themselves and they're not glorifying Jesus. The purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we'll get into this as we go through the Bible, are to, they are gifts given to the people in the church to serve the church, not to serve yourself. Mm -hmm. And so like when you see these healers and they travel around and they have these fancy jets and they live like millionaires, they're using those gifts, even if those gifts were legitimate. And I'm not saying that they are, but even if they're real, they've manipulated and used those gifts for their own benefit. And that's, that just, I think that breaks God's heart. Yeah, I bet. 
Um, so now that this has happened, everyone's still gathered together. And verse 15 says, During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. So I have a question here, too. Did Peter sort of assume authority for everyone in this moment? And did all those people know about the whole denial part? Yeah. So, well, we have to go back because Luke has told us in, in Luke chapter 9, mm-hmm. Peter is the one, and upon you I will build my church. So God, Jesus has selected Peter to be the leader. Yeah. What's interesting is if you look at the order of the apostles in Luke, it's different from the order in Acts. Okay. And so Luke is telling us a shift has occurred because now there's three leaders. And so if you look at it, right, the other order is just kind of random. This order, it's Peter, James, and John. And those are the first three mentioned because Peter, James, and John are the main active characters in the gospel or excuse me in the book of acts until we get to the apostle paul in mm-hmm. acts chapter 9 10 11 12 and then ultimately he takes over and dominates the rest so your question was did in this situation did peter just sort of step in and assume the authority that he knew jesus no jesus him, jesus put him in that so that, okay. yeah they're going to be aware now luke doesn't record mm-hmm. you know the conversation with jesus that Peter has, but he certainly must have been aware of it because he would have interacted with Peter. And we know from the book of Acts that Paul and Peter, and so we have to remember that the apostle Paul is the travel, or Luke is the traveling companion of Paul. So as Paul is interacting with the disciples, Luke is present. And so he knows the role that Peter took and the role that he has ultimately within the church. And so they, they all know it's Peter. Jesus said, you're the leader. She, Peter spoke as the leader, acted as the leader. I mean, Jesus prepped him for this whole thing. And he assumes the mantle of leadership. But you need to notice here, it also says, right, that there's, there's, 11, there's 11 apostles right mm-hmm. now. One's missing. And we'll get to that in a second because they've got to fulfill the spot that's open. And then it also says that there were about 120 believers there. And there's, that's important. And the reason that's important is you have 12 basically rabbis acting as apostles and they each have about 10 people underneath them. And so it takes 10 active members to make a synagogue and it takes 120 members to make a Sanhedrin, hmm. which is a local body of leadership. Okay. And so you have to have that many Jews in order to qualify as, and what it's saying is, is Peter represents a significant group of Jews within the context of Judaism. Okay. And so it's preparing us for this, this, this new movement within Judaism. And that's what you need to understand. Christianity is not separate from Judaism. It is a movement from within Judaism that you know, many Jews accept. Many Jews have rejected it today, but many Jews accept it. It is purely a Jewish movement from the very beginning. And so that why that, that's why that number 120 is important. Mm-hmm. And Peter is operating you know, kind of like, he's not the high priest because Jesus is the high priest, but he's operating in that role of the leader the spokesman. Can we pause here really quick and just talk about what kind of authority Peter would have had as a leader? Because I've read ahead in the whole book of Acts and spoiler alert, like they make decisions and things like that, but it still feels like there's kind of a, there's like a council of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. There's some group decision-making it seems like is happening. And then eventually Paul kind of takes over and does a lot of stuff. What would a Peter's authority have looked like? Right. And so we, we, okay, you're going to get two different answers because if you ask a Catholic you know, priest or a Catholic um, theologian, they're going to say, you know, Peter acted as the first Pope and his decisions were rendered, you know, perfect. Okay. And the problem with that is the book of Galatians tells us that the apostle Paul rebukes Peter. <laughs> so Peter makes a decision. Paul comes in and says, you're wrong, buddy. And so um, it shows us right away that, 
you know, within Christianity, we don't just have one spokesman and one leader. Like even at our church, I mean, I'm the senior pastor. Everybody knows I'm in charge, but there are other pastors that speak into my life and we need to listen to their wisdom and, and their thoughts on what's happening in the church needs to be dealt with. They have weight in terms of the decisions. Now, obviously, right. you know, as long as I'm moral and ethical and following what the Bible says, I have the final say, but they also speak into it. And so I definitely think that Peter is the leader, okay. but there are also a group of others that are around him that um, contribute to that and agree with that. And you'll see that ultimately when they pick Mattathias as the uh, disciples who replaced Judas, that they all, they all agreed. Everybody agreed. So there was consensus there. And you're going to see that even more in Acts chapter two, that when the church is at its best, there is agreement within its ranks. Hmm. When the church struggles, there's disagreement. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to bring unity within the church. So I think Peter was unequivocally the leader. He is the spokesman. He preaches the gospel. Uh, I mean, he does miraculous miracles. He does amazing things. So we need to understand that, that he's the one. I mean, Jesus knew who he was picking. Right. Okay, so as we continue to move down, man, I love Acts 1 because lots of stuff just keeps happening in here. Verses 18 through 19 kind of tell the story of the end of Judas's life. And it says, Judas bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. I love that. Just straight up called it out from Luke. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name, I'm not Akademla or something like that, which means field of blood. So this is a different description of the end of Judas's life than what we see in like the gospel of Matthew chapter 27, which tells things a little bit differently. Like what's going on with these differences? Yeah. So this is, this is one of the great challenges of the church. You know, Matthew seems to indicate that Judas's life ended in a different way. So let's talk about the similarities before we talk about the differences. Okay. So they both agree that, that Judas sold out Jesus. They both agree that a field was purchased with the money that Judas received for his treacherous acts. So, so there's some agreement there. Matthew says that the high priest, because you know Judas tried to give back the money, took the money and bought the field. Luke indicates that Judas bought the field. Either way, what I would say is the money that Judas received for betraying Jesus was the money that was used to purchase the field. So I, I, I think it's right. inconsequential. And Luke, right, has... Um, I mean, he, he, he has the ability to, to tell the story in such a way that's A, simple, that B, his audience will get it and, and makes the point. And so whether or not Judas actually bought the field or the money that Judas has was used to bought the field, Judas is responsible for the purchase of the field. Got it. Now, where it gets more difficult is in the gospel of Matthew, Judas hangs himself. Yeah. In, in Luke's account, Judas falls headlong. And we don't really know exactly what the Greek sentence means. It's really, really difficult to translate, but falling headlong, you know, fell on his head is the best way or landed mm -hmm. on his head. And something happened that when he had his, his stomach burst open and, and there were worms. So if yeah. you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, uh, Mel Gibson tries to take these two stories and meld them together. And so if you saw it, Judas hangs himself, the rope snaps, Judas falls on his head and his stomach bursts open. Yeah, thank Here's you. Here's what I think. You know, ultimately, what I think Matthew and Luke are trying to say is that, is that Judas died a horrific death. So in Judaism, suicide was considered sinful and shameful. In the Roman, the Greco-Roman world, it was considered, you know, somewhat noble. Like the person took kind of the noble way out, you know, like, so the story of Socrates, he drinks the poison willingly. He mm -hmm. takes the noble way and ends his own life. So Luke, in trying to communicate the shame to a Gentile audience, he can't say hung himself because he doesn't want to indicate that, 
Judas tried to do the right thing. Do something. So the Jewish people would all know, oh, wow, his life, not only did he go to hell, but he ended in a horrific way. And so mm-hmm. the Jewish audience is going to understand that, you know, hanging oneself that way is an indication of God's curse. Gentile audience isn't going to get that. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to, he's trying to communicate that Judas died a horrific, ugly death. He's trying to present that Judas is cursed. Mm. which is what we all are if we reject Jesus Christ. All of us are cursed. Right. There's no nobility in betraying Jesus. And it shows you that God's serious, man, right? God's serious. So you have a Jewish audience that gets hanging. Okay, that's terrible, awful, and ugly. And then, you know, so maybe, what you know, we don't know. Maybe the rope snapped. Maybe it didn't work. He, he fumbled the hanging and he fell, you know, down, down a cliff and landed on his head. And, right. and, you know, there were a bunch of maggots and worms. What he wants us to know is Judas's earthly fate was horrible and his eternal fate was even worse. So, you know, but ultimately, I mean, only God knows. That's just yeah. one of those things where you have two people who talk about the same event and they're slightly different. And these are the, I would say this is the biggest difference of all the stories about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. These, this is the biggest difference. And so it doesn't bother me, but yeah. some people, they go, oh, you know, it's two different made up stories. And I go, well, that's, that's your opinion. I think it's fine. Yeah. So, Cool. So Peter continues talking about Judas to this group of people. And he says that this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. And it also says, let someone else take his position. How did Peter know that those verses were about Judas or how did he know to apply those to Judas here? Yeah, what, what I'm going to assume is we, we don't know. So the whole, here, here's where it gets tricky. The Holy Spirit hasn't fallen yet. So what this means is, you know, Peter is not yet filled with the Spirit. So mm-hmm. I think they're trying, to, they're trying to figure out what to do. And so what he's doing is he's quoting some verses that he knows. So the first verse is, is a little like, okay, stretch. The second verse is talking about a cursed individual. And so I think that makes more sense because Judas is a cursed individual and they're saying we got to replace this guy. And so this is just a tradition of the apostles is to quote the Old Testament to substantiate what they're doing. And they do this with Jesus. This is why Jesus did this. And so this is just something that they believe that they needed to do, again, because for the followers of Jesus, they're not creating a new religion. This is Judaism explained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to constantly substantiate, as a Jew, I believe this because in my Jewish Bible, it said this, and this is why Jesus did this. This is why we're doing this. This is why this happened. So they're constantly pointing back to the Hebrew Bible to explain their decisions. So that's why. Uh, this next question is from Brandon, and he said, was it necessary for the apostles to fill the position that Judas had within the group? Okay, Stephanie, that's a great question, and that's why this is important. So here, they have to be 12, there, there are 12 disciples to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, because again, this is a Jewish movement, and that's why the 120 is mentioned, because of the Sanhedrin. So Judas has betrayed Jesus, and he has, he has chosen to leave the group. So they feel like they need to fulfill the group. But what's interesting, in a couple chapters later, when James is killed, is they don't seek to fulfill that role. The 12 apostles is a one-time role that does not need to be replaced when they die. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we differ from Catholicism that believes in apostolic succession. And so they go all the way back to Peter and they say there's a succession of leaders that are chosen to fulfill and to lead the church. And so ultimately, in our church history, we believe that God's spirit chooses leaders and God's spirit moves in the midst of the church, both Catholic and Protestant churches, selecting followers of Jesus and raising up people to you know, teach the gospel and, and, and come alongside and lead Christians. And so we just differ with them on that specific issue. But in this instance, the disciples felt like they had to replace 
Judas. So it says that the way they did that in verse 26, uh, it says they cast lots and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. So just kind of throwing some like old school dice, which is my understanding of what yeah. casting lots is. That seems like a really weird way to pick a major church leader. Should we be doing more of that now? Or yeah, no, the- no, no, no. That's, that's for <laughs> Vegas. So you have to understand again, the Holy Spirit hasn't fallen. Jesus just left. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. So what do they do? This is what Jews do. This is how Jews pick leaders. Now, before we you know, pick on them from what they do, they do establish some character boundaries. So for example, must be a good person. He had to be with Jesus from the baptism all the way to the ascension. So he's had to be faithful with us the entire time. So it's not like they just pulled a name out of the hat. They said, look, there's two guys that meet the qualifications. Either of these guys could fulfill the vacancy perfectly. We don't know which one. Mm-hmm. So let the dice decide, right? It doesn't matter. And so everybody's happy. Nobody picked any favorites. And then ultimately, you never hear from Mattathias again. So, Yeah, that yeah. was going to be my next question. Why don't we ever hear anything about him again? Yeah, just because he didn't do anything extraordinary in terms of teaching and preaching as the church continued to grow. And we see this. So the three main disciples are Peter, James, and John. They become the biggest deal. What's interesting is... And so do the two brothers of Jesus. So Jesus has four brothers, according to the Gospel of Mark. Um, the two most famous brothers are, are Judas, who wrote the book of Jude, okay. towards the end, towards Revelation, and James, who wrote the book of James. So James becomes the leader of the church and really supersedes the authority of the twelve. And, and why? Because of his wisdom, because of his leadership skills, and because of his giftedness. And he becomes really the head of the church in Jerusalem. The apostles, again, what are they? They're sent out ones. Mm-hmm. And so they go all over the place, but Jerusalem is still the base where James becomes the head. And so these other you know, apostles, they, they, they play roles, but not nearly as extraordinary roles as Peter, James, John, and then ultimately James, the brother of Jesus, which is a different James. Man, good stuff. But let me say this. It doesn't mean they didn't do amazing things. It means Luke didn't write it down. So sure. I don't want to like punk Mattathias, which <laughs> yeah. by the way is just my name in Greek. So, yeah. oh, so yeah. you, you've got a yeah. bias there. Yeah. So it's just basically the same as Matthew? Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, there we go. Good job to uh, you for having the additional person with your name in the Bible. Thank you. Yep. Well, hey, uh, good stuff coming from us in Acts. Man, there's all kinds of great stuff as we move forward through this book. If you got questions that you want to get here on the show, we would love to uh, start addressing them. So send those in, sandalsearch.com slash the debrief, or you can head on over to our Facebook page where you can share the show, all that kind of stuff, and ask us questions. And um, as we close out, I want to ask you, listen, if you are enjoying the debrief, if you find this helpful, once again, would you do us a favor? Would you look to somebody that you know needs to be listening? to the show and uh, show them how to get subscribed on their phone and uh, help them start listening to the show. We would appreciate you helping other people getting connected to all this good stuff. And as we get ready to close out of here, Stephanie, you're going to bring a sweet inspirational quote. I'm always going to uh, bring a sweet inspirational Get some of your quote. thoughts on Pastor Matt. Get ready to be inspired, man. Are you I ready? I'm ready to be inspired. All right. Uh, don't be afraid to be different. Amen. Right. That's what God's called us to be different. Different from the world, though, not not different from him. Different from the world. We're to be like him. And by the way, that's what the word holy means. It doesn't mean perfect. It means separate, different. Hmm. So I think it's great. Wow. Thank you. I'm inspired. Inspirational quote, legit. Indeed. You inspired Pastor Matt, which was great. Because he he does that to uh, all of us. Thank you. He sure does. Thank you. We had a good weekend this weekend. It was awesome. Yeah. So happy Father's Day to everybody and all you dads who came to church this weekend. I love you. You have no idea how you're blessing your family. So thank you. 
Cool. Well, we love you guys. See you back here next week. It's going to be good times.